Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, a weekly coaching clinic you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome back to the podcast. And we are at episode number 191. We are back with new podcasts. Last week, uh, just things did not work out. Had a lot of stuff going on. And, well, you know, now we are. We're, we're, we're back. And really excited to talk to our guest this week here, Kevin Janata, the head boys basketball coach at Howells Dodge High School here in Nebraska. Uh, really excited to have Coach on. But before we tar- start talking to Coach, uh, we will, of course, want to thank our founding sponsor, Cossack Chiropractic, located at 144th and Maple here in Omaha. Coaches, if you or any of your athletes are struggling with balance, neck, or spinal issues, go out and uh, see Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi at Cossack Chiropractic. You can give them a call at 402 402- Nine six four zero three zero zero. Follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter handle, so be sure to follow us there. If you're listening, go to iTunes and download, rate, review, give us a five star review. Say nice things about a pen and a napkin because the more people that do that, the more we move up in the rankings and the ratings. And when people look up coaching basketball podcast, this one pops up, and that's that's good for us. So. Please do that if you'd be so willing. And if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at a pen and a napkin.com. Uh, check out a pen and a napkin.com. It's a really good coaching website. I know that because I made it myself, and there's, a, there's thousands of pages of notes and different things that you can check out on the website. Kevin Janata, how are you doing this Sunday morning, sir? Oh, pretty good. Yeah? B- better than I am, I think. <laughs> I got a two-year-old birthday party to get to later, so I'm pretty excited about that, but yeah. kind of excited to be on the podcast. Hey, well, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, excited to talk to you here this morning, and uh, uh, what is the theme of the two-year-old birthday party? Um, it is actually Cocoa Melon, so my, my daughter, she's turning two, she loves Cocoa Melon. It seems like they've got a thousand videos and a thousand songs, and if you get one of those songs stuck in your head before bedtime, good luck sleeping. <laughs> um, for for our kids, it was stuff like Dora the Explorer. Yep, and 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 uh, that 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 was our range of of child rearing uh, in in that age. So, gotcha. uh, Coco Melon, uh, that's a new one for me. But you know what? I'm going to stay away from it because I don't need an earworm of if it, you know, if it's if it's an Ario Speedwagon earworm, I'm okay with it. But not yeah. uh, not a Coco Melon earworm, I don't think so. Gotcha. Um, well, hey Kevin, thanks thanks for coming on. Really excited to talk to you here today. Uh, really quality program there at Howell's Dodge. Uh, let, let's start here like we do most of the time. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your basketball journey, and how you ended up uh, back at, at Howell's Dodge. Yeah, no problem. Um, so I'm, I'm originally from Howells. Um, I grew up on a farm about three miles out of town. Um, my dad grew up in Howells and my mom grew up in Dodge. So I felt like, you know, just I knew a lot about both communities. Um, in high school, I was a four-sport athlete, football, basketball, track, played baseball in the summer. So mm-hmm. I just, I was one of those kids that really enjoyed high school. I really enjoyed sports. And I guess the best way I thought I could stay around both those things was to, uh, be a coach and be a teacher. So I knew that's what I wanted to do. So when I went to college, that's kind of what I focused on. I went to Nebraska Wesleyan where I actually ran track okay. for four years. Yep. So I was a pretty good track athlete. I thought that would give me the best chance to compete at the next level. So mm-hmm. really enjoyed that. Um, 
I ran the hurdles. I was uh, all American three times, so I was I was okay at it. I mean, I had some success. So <laughs> sounds like it. Yeah, and yeah. then uh, after college, you know, you start putting your applications out there. And I actually wasn't thinking too much about basketball. I took a basketball class in college, but you know, it's just one of those things that yeah, it seemed cool, but you know, I wasn't sure if that's what I wanted to do. So it was kind of more of a football track. You know, I think the first first book I bought to kind of have something to talk about interviews was uh, Beamer Ball, I think, by Frank Beamer, because somebody's going to need a special team coach. So, you know, I just wanted to have stuff to talk about. But uh-huh. I interviewed for a couple of places. Plainview said they needed a basketball coach and a track coach. And I got the job and uh-huh. been coaching basketball ever since. Love it. Kind of dove in head first and just pretty excited about it. So, yeah. Uh, um. So what was your what was your uh, job track there? How you you didn't go straight back to Howell's Dodge, right? No, I was at Plainview for five years. I was the assistant um, the first year, and then the head coach retired from basketball. Um, so then I was the head coach for the next four years. Um, I met my wife while I was up there. She was from Crofton, and uh, she was my fiance. And the Crofton job came open, so she really wanted me to apply and. I got that job, so I kind of stepped back into the, an assistant basketball role, mm-hmm. and I feel bad. I was only there for one year. I really enjoyed it. I loved it. Um, great community, great atmosphere, but the Howells Dodge job came open, and it was one of those things where I just knew if I didn't try to apply and see how, how it went, I think I was going to regret it. So I applied, got an interview, mm-hmm. got offered the job, and then it was decision-making time because, you know, we're in my wife's hometown and to uproot everything we got going there and move to my hometown. I just felt like you know, that was a big risk, but you know, we took it and uh, been here ever since and haven't looked back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what were some of the things that you were looking forward to coming home? Uh, what was, what was the draw? What was the appeal uh, to coming back? And, and, and maybe, you know, other than the the personal life, and like you said, you're you, you guys were married, and it was your wife's hometown. But uh, what was perhaps maybe uh, some hesitation? What, were there were there any reservations to to coming back home? Because that could be kind of a double edged sword. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, the reservation leaving, you know, basically give up what you know for something you don't know. You know, Crofton, I kind of I bought a house there. We were getting married in town. Her in laws all live there. Um, I liked my classes. I liked the coach I was coaching with, you know, was pretty set, you know, going back into that assistant role, you know, you feel like there's a little less pressure on you. Um, so definitely was, was feeling comfortable, but, uh, you know, I just growing up in Howells and six miles away from Dodge, I just, I knew the culture that we had here. I knew the competitive drive. I knew the, the families and the athletes that I knew. Hey, if I wanted to have a chance to success or to uh, coach with success in a community that you know values success, it was going to be a great opportunity. And so I just felt like if I passed up on it, I'd always regret it. Mm-hmm. Uh, how how difficult was it? Uh, how difficult of a decision was it in the end? There, I mean, how much did you you and your wife kind of have to hash it out? Oh, it was uh, it was tough. We were remodeling the kitchen in the house that we were going to spend, you know, a good chunk of our lives in and we're painting walls. And it's like, what are we doing all this for? If we're just going to, you know, give it up and move. So it was, <laughs> it was not a fun weekend. It was weighing pros and cons and, and talking and, you know, talking with her parents and talking with my parents. And yeah, 
in the end, I just, I just felt like it was something I had to, yeah. had to experience. I had to try. Yeah. Um, you know, Howells and Dodge, bitter rivals for a long time, and and both successful uh, at various points, and then they come together and the consolidation has worked out really, really well. What was that? Uh, what was that? like uh as a kid it probably happened when you were probably in school there wasn't it well i know they were talking about it when i was in school and it was supposed to be howells dodge and clarkson oh okay but it it just never came together and i graduated and it would have been probably four or five years afterwards okay where it finally happened between howells and dodge and i know the whole process was kind of ugly i mean there were people in both communities that were completely against it happening but you know, I think the administration made some tough calls and had to do what was best for the kids. Mm-hmm. And I think once everyone got over kind of, uh, you know, the, the change, it, it's been a really good thing for both communities. Yeah. And, and you know, the in one of the biggest ways that it's been successful, of course, is in your athletics and, and your, your boys' athletics has been on a pretty good roll here. You know, football has been really, really successful. Uh, basketball, of course wrestling you guys have had some good wrestlers come out uh you know what's what's in the sauce man i mean what's what's in the secret sauce up there that is enabling you and and your your co-workers to have such a uh, successful successful athletic program you talked about coming home and, and you knew about the culture and you were talking about the culture of it tell us a little bit about that you know it's it's pretty simple to just say it's the culture but it really comes down to it i mean we've got a great community we have great parents we have a lot of buy-in from our kids um you know it's it's a struggle every summer to to decide how much to put on the calendar because the kids are going to show up for everything yeah you know they're going to bust their tails in the weight room and they're going to show up to basketball camps and they're going to play baseball and uh, they're going to go to football camp so it's just it's just we have a lot of buy-in we have a lot of parent support expectations are high and and you know, we have a lot of the same last names going through, even when I was, even when I was going through, you know, Brester's buyers, uh, it's just a lot of continuity just from year to year with expectations. Uh, where do those expectations and standards come from? I mean, is, is it from your coaching staff? Is it from parents? Is it from the kids themselves? Is it a little bit of everything? You know, where does that start at? Because I think sometimes when you're trying to get a program going in a positive manner, when you're trying to get a culture going in a positive manner, you, you it's not as much the physical. A lot of times the kids will show up, but it's the it's the mental part of it and, and getting that mental buy-in. Yes, we are good. Yes, we have a chance to be good. Uh, if we do this and this and this, and then we get a little success, then it kind of sparks it. I mean, you know, where do where do those standards and expectations kind of start at? Um, you know, I remember Coach Spears, he's our football coach here, putting on a T-shirt that tradition never graduates. And that's just kind of emphasizing the culture and tradition that, you know, you don't just get to go to state. You don't just get handed the trophy at the beginning of the year. It takes busting your tail in the weight room and getting in the gym and, and doing what it takes. Um, just passing that culture from year to year that, hey, just because we had success last year doesn't mean anything this year. Starting zero and zero and just pushing that um, that mentality that, Nothing is given. Everything is gained through hard work. Yeah. T- tell us a little bit about Coach Spears. He, you put him down as as one of your influences here, and, and he's been there for a long time. 
He's had a lot of success, and you know, as as coaches, we you know we we don't get our influences for basketball just from basketball. Obviously, we get them from a lot of different places, and and he seems in, in a lot of ways, just from the outside looking in, he seems to be the, kind of the center of all the spokes, and a lot of things kind of start there. So you know, tell us a little bit about Coach Spears and 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 why he's so important to to the system there. Yeah, it's been definitely interesting getting to know him from like a colleague standpoint, you know, yeah. it's it's one thing to go through his program and, uh, you know, see it from him as a you know coach student athlete relationship. But I guess, you know, there's so many things I could say about Coach Spears, but, uh, you know, the biggest thing is just the motivational factor, like, you know, the, the speeches he would give and, and you just wanted to play hard for him. You wanted him you wanted to be successful for him. I mean, some of his pregame speeches, you basically wanted to run through a wall for the guy. And, you know, he would get after it. He wasn't afraid to, you know, chew butt and yell, but you knew he cared about you and he, he wanted you to be successful. So in the end, you could take that coaching and, and not take it the wrong way, if that makes sense. No, no, no. I, it's That is, you know, I always say there's the art of coaching and the science of coaching, and that's the art of coaching. You know, to, right. to be to be tough on kids, uh, to hold them accountable, but also let them know that you're doing that because you truly, honestly, with genuine sincerity, care about them, and you're gonna you're gonna you know take care of them off the off the floor or off the field or whatever it may be, and and it sounds like that's where he hits the home run at. Right. I mean, if I've tried to take anything from him, it's just making sure the kids know you care because, you know, I, I, I've been known to get on a kid. I've been, I'll yell from time to time, but as long as that kid knows that, Hey, he could screw up tremendously and I've, I'm still going to love him and, and, and want him to see him succeed. There's just more buy-in and there's, you know, there's, they'll, they'll respond better to that sort of situation. Mm-hmm. If they know you care. Mm-hmm. Coaches, put it on your calendar right now. Saturday, October 14th, Sunday, October 15th, 2023. The first annual A Pen and a Napkin Fall Coaches Retreat here in Omaha. We've got a little bit of everything for everybody. We are going to start our day 10 a.m. Saturday morning with a live practice session with Kirk Walker and the College of St. Mary's women's basketball program here in Omaha. Then we're going to move everything to the Holiday Inn Express here in Omaha, 87th and Dodge. We've got a lot of things planned. We've got speakers like myself talking about 25 universal truths in coaching along with practice planning and a practice uh, planning and efficient practice. We've got Jeff Steinis, the boys assistant coach at Ames, Iowa, talking about building a complete program. We've got Tyler Shaw, the girls head coach at Sydney, Nebraska, talking about coaching cheat codes. And we've got Tom Craven talking about transition basketball and transition offense and the Boys Town way of doing things out of Boys Town here in Omaha. The best thing about a pen and a napkin clinics, though, is the interactive part of it. We've got small group coaching roundtables where you're going to pick the brains of three or four other coaches at the same time. Then we're going to have big group discussions. You're going to come up and you're going to have to talk. When you come to a pen and a napkin clinic, you've got to bring your own ideas. We're going to have a situation score discussion on Saturday night. Sunday morning, we're going to have a basketball smorgasbord session where we're going to talk about issues that coaches need to think about off the floor and how things can derail you off the floor and how to prepare for those type of things. So it's going to be a great weekend at a very, very affordable rate. If you would like to stay overnight at the Holiday Inn Express, it's $175 for everything, your room, your food, your drinks, everything that we've got going on, you're going to be taken care of there. If you're a commuter, 
it's a hundred dollars a hundred dollars all of this it's it's 26 hours coaches it's 26 hours of awesome awesome information and the, again the best thing about it is you are going to be picking the brains and learning from other coaches you're not just going to be sitting there getting lectured to the entire time we're going to be moving around so Hotel rooms. We need to have at least 10 rooms filled. I'm sorry, five rooms filled with 10 uh, boarders by September 15th. That's my cutoff date. So if you want this to happen, get signed up now so we fill up those five hotel rooms with at least 10 coaches. Commuters, you got till October 12th to get signed up and ready to go. Coaches, you're not going to regret this. There's a lot of really good places to go, but I really think we do it really well here at A Pen and a Napkin. So come check out our first annual A Pen and a Napkin Fall Coaches Retreat. Kevin, you uh, you went through uh, some situations here a few, you know, a handful of years ago. I, I don't remember the exact year, uh, but uh, you had a couple of really, really talented players uh, R.J. Bayer and Blake Sindelar, uh, who tremendous athletes in multiple activities, but also uh, had you know played with heavy hearts and were dealing with a lot of personal things, things that they don't really talk to you about in the coaching 101 class, the, the basketball coaching class that you took at Wesleyan, uh, you know, or and. Uh, you know, tell us a little bit about their journeys, what you learned about coaching that, it, you know, well beyond the X's and O's and the halftime speeches and all of those things that everybody associates with coaching, but it's it goes a lot deeper than that. So if, if you'd be willing to kind of tell us those stories, uh, I think that's a, a great thing to talk about here this morning. Yeah, no problem. Um, first off, it's it's hard to say enough good thing. I mean, it's hard not to say enough good things about RJ and Blake. I mean, they're two of the top kids that come to the program, not only athletically but just personality wise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, great kids. They'll do anything for you. They work their tails off. Um, you know, RJ and Blake both started basically from Christmas on their freshman year, and that's that's kind of rare in boys basketball to have someone start. Yeah, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. But uh, uh, RJ's sophomore year, his uh, his father passed away from uh, from cancer, and you know it just puts things in perspective. You know, we, we are playing a game, and you know, trying to win win as many of those games as possible. But it comes down to more than wins and losses. It's it's you know building character and 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 emphasizing what's important in life. And that that made me take a step back. That hey we might've lost a tough game to Humphrey or we might've lost a tough game to BRLD. But in the end, it's just about trying to make these kids as good as they can possibly be. And I learned a lot from RJ, just, you know, you'd show up to practice and is like, nothing was going on. He was, he was pleasant. He was, he was focused and trying to find that balance of, Hey, I want you to know I'm here for you. And if you need to talk, we can talk, but also I know this is your escape. And if, if you, if you, if you want to keep that, you know, to yourself for now, just know that my door is open. If you need time, take time, but I'm going to let you play and I'm going to let you be a kid in practice. And, mm-hmm. you know, Blake kind of the same way. I know he lost his father when he was pretty young. I'm not entirely sure. I think I was still maybe in high school when that happened. Um, a classmate of mine was his dad's brother. So I, I went to the funeral. I was aware of what was going on there, but mm-hmm. you know, same thing. It just, the character that, 
those two turned into just based on the adversity that they had to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, Blake's same situation, his senior, his, his mom was diagnosed with, I, I believe, lung cancer. And to go to school, go to practice, have all the pressure of, of that on top of what's going on at home, it's, it, again, I've had to take a step back as a coach and just realize winning and losing is not everything. You know, you got to get to know these kids at a personal level and, and just showing that you care about them is kind of the most important thing. Um, I'm sorry if if I'm talking a little bit too much here, but no, yeah, no, was, no, you're fine, man. Go. You know, those were uh, you know some trying experiences from my perspective, just trying to know what to say, what to do, and how to be there for them. That makes sense. No, because you you don't want to say the wrong thing, but you uh, you know you have to say something. You still have to coach them if they're going to be in the gym. You still have to coach them, and if they throw if they throw a bad pass or if they miss their defensive assignment or whatever it may be, uh, you still owe it to the team. You owe it to the player that you have to hold them accountable or whatever the whatever it may be. So, I I, I think that would be an extremely extremely difficult situation uh not in the sense of being difficult because you don't want to be there it's because you want to be there but you don't want to do the wrong thing i i would imagine you know you know with that much stress going on in their life you don't want to add to it but like i said you wouldn't guess what was going on at home based on their attitudes and, and their and what they brought to practice i could still coach them hard and not feel like i was hurting them in any way i mean they wanted to be coach hard and just for them to be able to you know divide that mental space between practice and school and home and 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 still come every day focused in mm-hmm. I, it, I i don't know if it's something i could do in the same situation yeah yeah i i went through my mom passed away suddenly when i was 22 and i was in college and i was i was a student assistant while i was at college and Obviously, it's traumatic, awful, and um, I remember about you know when I came back, you know, a lot of people were walking on eggshells around me, and and I didn't know how to react. I didn't know what people were going to say or do, or you know, all of those things. And our baseball coach Dan McDermott came up to me one day, and I can't say what he said to me on this. Uh, PG thirteen podcast, but he started. He he treated me the way that he had treated me before my mom had passed away, and yeah. it was and it was kind of it was refreshing. Like, okay, this is starting to feel like life is slowly but surely starting to get back to normal again. And I actually thanked him for yeah. basically insulting me. Right. <laughs> you know? exactly. I mean, they wanted things to be normal, and I'm yeah. sure you felt the same way in that situation. You yeah. didn't want to be reminded about it every every day you yeah. know so yeah I, I, exactly exactly so um speaking of not wanting to be reminded about something every day but unfortunately kevin i'm going to remind you of something here. <laughs> no worries i figured we'd go go there at some point you know uh you've been fortunate to be at the state tournament uh for the last five years or so, something uh, yep. very consistently and um you got to you know you, you never the, the the loss that ends every season is never a pleasant loss. It's never a good experience. But you've been on 
real two really opposite ends of the spectrum here. Um, 2021 uh, state title game. Uh, feel like you're you're in control late third, early fourth, and then not only that, you're playing a rival in Humphrey Lindsay Holy Family. They come back, tie the game, put it into overtime, and and you end up losing it in overtime. This last year. Um, you go down to the state tournament, have a nice team. Obviously, we've seen each other's teams play the last couple of years in our holiday tournament against, yep. uh, you know, and uh, you just have uh, just the nightmare game of all games. Uh, I was it two for twenty five or something like that in the first half, or yeah, I think we shot under twenty percent as a team from anywhere. Yeah. Uh, I think it came out to be like sixteen percent. Yeah, I think we're at like point six points per shot so yeah. it was it was by far the worst shooting performance i think i've ever coached in my life yeah, it was it was a bad time to throw up an egg yeah so you know two completely different scenarios of how your season ended on a on a big stage uh you know which one you know it's like you know how do you rank it or whatever but just how did you handle uh, your teams after because you have the heart you play a great game and you have the heartbreak and you get you did you played great that day against Humphrey uh, and still you came up short on a big stage you you play that game a thousand times against Johnson Brock and that will never happen again the, the way it happened uh, how do you how do you communicate those situations to your kids whether it's just you play great and it's it's you fall short or you know you just have this guilt like we know we're so much better than this. How can our season end when we shoot it the way that we shot it today? You know, right. Yeah. You know, that's, that is a tough question. Um, definitely. We've had a lot of close calls and heartbreak the last, you know, five years, you know, going back to that Humphrey game in the state finals. Yeah. We were up 10 going on the fourth quarter. If anybody watched our sub district game against those guys where we beat them, we we're up 16 with four minutes left and they about tied the game. So uh -huh. I, did not feel comfortable at any minute. <laughs> yeah. You know, we could have been up 25 points at that point. I'd still be nervous. You know, the biggest thing you have to emphasize to the kids, hey, you know, I'm still proud of you. This is still an achievement. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of teams get to go to state, you know. Yeah. When I coached at Plainview, we, my best year, we won five games. Mm -hmm. You know, we never had a chance to even get to a district final. And it's like, you know, you got to be fortunate. Um that you're blessed with the talent and the kids that can get you to that position. And, you know, I want to take nothing away from the kids. Um, I, w I was proud of them every single year, even last year. I mean, um, it's, it's tough, but once you have a little time to recover, like the Johnson Brock game, I think I've watched back twice since, since the season's oh, ended. Wow. You, yeah. you, you got, you got to learn, yeah. you got to learn and take stuff away. And the biggest thing that I told my underclassmen was, Hey guys, remember this feeling right here because this this sucks i mean we we're at state and we are not performing well and our biggest thing was shooting and it was easy for me to uh load up this summer with different things and open gyms and, and different tournaments that i want to take the kids to and they're on board and I, I i get text messages and phone calls all the time hey coach i'd like to get on the gun can i get in the gym and yeah i, I gotta take time out of my personal life to go down there but i'm gonna do that because you know it's it's just something that is going to help make the program better. So I guess the biggest thing I'd say is taking from those close calls would be you, you just got to know 
hey, we're not over the hump. We we haven't won the big one. You know, <laughs> sometimes I feel, you know, I'm not going to compare myself to Tom Osborne because he's had a tremendous career, but, you know, we're not taking that next step. And so what do we got to change about ourselves, put ourselves in position to take that next step? And it kind of helps kids buy in for that next year where, hey, they want to take that next step. They don't want to get embarrassed by 30 or 40 points in a state's quarterfinal game. So, yeah. Um, kind of on the same side of that, like we're, we're putting ourselves in that position. Like I said, final eight, my season has been ended by four state champions and the third place runner up. I mean, BRLD five years ago, we lost to, they won state Humphrey. We lost to the next three years. They went, they won state twice and mm-hmm. third place finished in the, in one of those seasons. And then Johnson Brock went to win it. So we're putting ourselves in a position to be there, mm-hmm. what do we got to do to take the next step? Yeah, it, it, it's not like your season's ending to uh, a bunch of jokers here. Uh, right. You know, hey, fellas, let's take some solace in that to get knocked out, the best had to knock us out. And, right. And at some point, we're going to get over that hump. I'm sure that's the I'm sure that's the attitude. I'm sure that's the, the thought process. If we just keep knocking on that door, at some point, we're going to bust through. Right. And it makes easy motivation midseason when practices are starting to drag on and kids start going to the motion. You hang that score somewhere. Mm-hmm. I like to put scores up on the scoreboard. Uh, you know, my kids will say, hey, what does that mean? Hey, we remember this game. We lost this, this, this was our shooting percentage, you know, mm-hmm. and it kind of refocuses kids and re-motivates them. So, yep. Um, I thought it was interesting, Kevin, you uh, in the in the form that I had you fill out here, um, you, you gave three well-known names for uh, influences. And, and you had some other people, your, your high school coach. and uh, But I, I thought it was interesting. Uh, you had John Wooden for leadership, uh, Billis for toughness, and, and Brad Stevens for X's and O's. And three very distinct people and, and, and well-regarded. I'll be obvious, I've, I've used all three myself. Yeah. And uh, But I, I thought it was an interesting breakdown is that, you know, was that coincidence or did it just kind of evolve that way? Um, I would say it kind of evolved that way. Like, you know, I, I put uh, the first coach I ever coached on, it was Jerry Klein. Just what I learned from him, just the research, the, the, you should always be trying to learn more. Mm-hmm. If you're not getting better, you're getting worse. So when he retired, he brought me, it must have been 15, 20 boxes of stuff that he just held on to. Um, and the books, just the basketball books. And one of the first books I took from his box was Coach Wooden's Leadership Game Plan for Success. Mm-hmm. And, you know, off season's a perfect opportunity. I want the kids shooting free throws. I want them doing all sorts of stuff to be better basketball players. Well, then I better be doing the same thing to be a better basketball coach. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the early books going down to coaches clinic in Lincoln's always a good time, but I went to the bookstore and toughness by Jay Billis was there. And yeah. I sat down and read it over lunch break. And it was just like, you know, you can always be advancing your skills. You should always be trying to evolve as a coach, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. No, that's why we, uh, that's why we uh, have a pen and a napkin because we're, we should be constantly learning. We should be talking to people. I mean, you know, it, it, for, for present company, I mean, the unanticipated consequence of doing this is every week I walk away from these con- uh, these conversations with 
a lot of great things to think about for myself and to input. And there's, I can't, I can't begin to tell you how many things I've taken from my own podcast and said, that's what we do in our program now, you know? So I, I think that's uh, I, I think that's a great attitude to have. And, and, and uh, you know, the, the Brad Stevens thing, you know, what is it about Brad Stevens that you like when it comes to his X's and O's? Cause I, I think he's one that a lot of people would cite as well. What's kind of your read on, on coach Stevens and, and why do you, uh, why did, why did you, obviously he's no longer active as a coach. Uh, you know, just what were some of the things that you poached from him? Um, you know, he had tremendous success when he was at Butler and then, some of the unique things he brought to the Celtics when he was their coach. Uh-huh. Um, he always valued out of timeout plays and baseline out of bounds plays. And if you go on YouTube and just type in Brad Stevens blog plays, you're going to get a playlist of t- 10 minutes long of just genius stuff that yeah. I couldn't come up on my own in a, in a hundred years. So it's like, you know, he's just such a smart person that, you know, and I feel basketball coaches do this all the time. Like someone runs a good out of bounds play against us. Guess what? We're going to, I'm going to put that in my file. And if I need that down the road, I'm going to use it. Uh-huh. Um, and just, you know, like I said, it just, it's fun to go through and some of them are way too complicated. And a lot of them end in lob dunks that we can't necessarily do. So obviously you can't, you know, use those, but it's, it's just the X's and O's that he can bring to the game. is just, it's just crazy. Uh-huh. Coaches are absolutely loving our taking over a new program booklet. As many of you know, I spent two years outside of coaching, and during that time, I hung a note card in my workspace at school that said, strip the house down to the studs. I took that time to really rethink and reorganize my thoughts on what it takes to run a transformational program. As I prepared for the possibility of coaching again, I organized these thoughts into this 96-page booklet. How much do I trust this booklet? I used this booklet as I went on interviews to help sell myself and my vision for what my new program would look like. If I'm using it to sell myself, why wouldn't I recommend it to you, my listeners? This booklet will help you look at any part of your program, no matter what stage you're at in your program, and help improve it in some way. It's all yours for only $15, which includes shipping and handling. For more information, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Kevin, at this time, let's uh, let's let's switch uh, let's switch lanes here. Let's switch roles here. Let's uh, let's talk a little Coach Wooden here. Uh, interesting that you had him on your on your list of influences. Uh, we're going to jump into the John Wooden quote of the day. Coach Janata, are you ready for the John Wooden quote of the day, my friend? Sure, hope so. All right, here we go. Well, from page seventy-one of Wooden, a lifetime of observations. Here is the John Wooden quote of the day. I preferred to judge individuals on the basis of how close they came to giving 100%, knowing they would never reach perfection, and they would certainly never reach 100% of perfection, but perhaps they would operate near their level of competency when their greatest skill was needed. What do you got for us, man? Just mulling that one over just a little bit. It's... It's what we strive for as coaches is perfection. You know, we want kids to sit in a stance. We want them to close out high hands. We want them to take the good shots, box out. But we're never going to be perfect. I've never coached a game where we made all of our shots. I've never coached a game where we held the opponent to zero. But it's kind of striving to be perfect. You know, if you can get the team to buy in into just doing the little things, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts, you know, not closing out, not being in a stance, not talking on defense, 
you lose games if you can't just do the little things, um, you know, small. But if you, if you're not striving for perfection, then then you know what are we doing? Yeah, yeah, and and it's it's a fight. You know, we coach an imperfect game, and uh, you know, Bobby Knight, his famous quote: "Victory favors the team that makes the least mistakes." But then you don't want to overcoach it and overthink it and have paralysis, you know, anal- paralysis by analysis and, and play with heavy feet and all those terms. Uh, but you also, again, and it's kind of the art of coaching, how, how much is holding them accountable versus how much letting them play? And I, and I think, you know, the, that's what makes youth programs important. That's what makes extra time in the gym important because then that's less time, in theory, that you have to coach those things at the high school level and you can move on to other things or re-emphasize those things and make them even better than, than what they are. Maybe you go from 90 to 92% and that, that 2% is the thing that, that takes you home, that, that gets you the, the next big win, uh, that gets you that state tournament berth, that allows you to advance in the state tournament. Cause you, you know, just as well as I do coach, you know, you get down to that state tournament, you get into a, a, a district championship game it's quite often it's the details of things that, that get you over the hump. Exactly. And and by the end of the year, yeah, the less coaching I can do, I mean, I can do less coaching on the sideline, the, the more discipline and then the better our team is, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of a struggle every year, especially offensively between, you know, letting them play and having a structured continuity offense. Mm-hmm. And I kind of go over it, you know, if we're moving, if we're back cutting, if we're setting good screens, I'm going to sit down and let you guys play. But if we get stagnant and we're not, you know, doing what we're supposed to be doing, I'm going to throw out the ball screen continuity offense. And that's that's less fun to play because you go from A to B to C, mm-hmm. um, you know, just it's more fun to play with that flow. And it, it's hard to do. And as a coach, it's hard to give up some of that control. But, you know, it's definitely what we you know, want to, we want to do in the end. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do your kids respond to that when you put it out there in those, those terms? I think, well, I mean, the biggest thing is that I have to trust them. They have to trust me. So, Hey, we have a couple possessions in a row where we had no passes and a bad shot went up and nobody in rebound position. Mm-hmm. You know, I might take a timeout and say, Hey, we're going to get some flow going. We're going to run this offense. And, you know, I know you don't, you overthink it sometimes and you don't necessarily want to run this offense, but we got to, we got to get on the same page. And as we get going in the game and we start to get a better feel and it's definitely one of those situations where as the season goes on, the kids get better playing together. You know, you don't have to put that structure on as much, but uh, you know, that's just kind of the way it goes sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well let's uh, let's talk a little offense here. Um you know, you uh, you like to run motion. Like I said, we, I, I've seen your teams play the last couple of years at our holiday tournament. Uh, obviously, when you have great athletes and disciplined kids, what you can run is y- you have the opportunity to do more stuff. Uh, but, you know, y- you talked about uh, motion, uh, specific set- sets to attack certain players in certain situations. Just, you know, and you, we've we've talked about Steven, so we're kind of on offensive run, so let's just keep going with it there. You know, how okay. how, how do you come up with your plan uh, coming into the season? You know, what are, what are you looking at? Uh, is, it, is it a carryover, you know, year to year, we're kind of going to do the same thing? Or do you uh, make subtle adjustments? Or is it a complete overhaul when it comes to it? Uh, you know, 
what 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 are you doing there? How do you implement it here? I'm gonna I, like I, I I do this often, Kevin. The more I think about this, uh, I, I'm gonna throw like eight questions at you right now, and then I'm just gonna let you talk. So you just tell us about your motion offense philosophy, how you implement it, what are its influences, um, maybe maybe some drills that you like that you, that you run to to make that possible. Yeah, no problem. And feel free to jump in if I start rambling a little bit too much. But no, uh, no you are here to ramble, my friend. So ramble <laughs> away. What's the, what's the, know, Led, the Led Zeppelin song? Ramble on. So go ahead. <laughs> you know, year to year, defensively, we kind of do the same thing. But offensively, especially you know, October rolls around, you start getting excited for the season. I'll diagram. I'll use up my whole chalkboard and basically diagram. Hey, what kids do I have? What are our advantages? What are our disadvantages? Do I got a bunch of guards? Do I have some heavy posts that can't necessarily shoot? And I'm going to try to pick the things that we do best in those situations. So man to man, you know, you can't throw too much at high school kids because you just, you know, hour and a half, two hour practices, yep. especially the last couple of years, we've been very successful in football. So we don't get a preseason in basketball. Yep. You know, it's always a good thing to be in the state championship game for football, but it means we get about three practices before we play Pierce and Coach Emery. It's always very, <laughs> very disciplined, but, you know, we usually have some structure and then we have some motion. So our structure, I've got a high-low um, offense that I like to use because I got, I got big posts. You know, they're football players on the basketball court, so yeah. we're going to be physical. We're going to set some screens. I'm going to try to take advantage of that situation. And then it seems like everybody's running pick and roll and ball screen. So we have a continuity ball screen and that one's pretty easy to teach. You know, it's easy to rep. Mm-hmm. If we're going to, if we're going to work our pick and roll defense, we're going to run that offense against us. So that's something we use year to year. But then the, the most difficult one to teach is the four out one in motion. Cause mm-hmm. you, know, you set up some structure, you set up some rules, but it comes down to the kids just knowing how to play basketball, knowing how to move. Yeah. Hey, when did, when did you back cut? When did you set a screen? And if, I mean, we rep a ton of it, but, you know, midway through the season, towards the end of the season, if it's not going well, we're going to rely on our structured offenses versus letting them uh, letting them just play, which, you know, we are a transition team. We do like to run the floor. So if you can run a four, four out one in motion, you know, your transition just transitions pretty well into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. it's it's definitely a struggle between knowing how much structure to put in there and how much um, – how much freedom they'll allow the kids. And it's kind of a year to year basis. You got, you got to know who you have and what they're going to do well and what they're going to succeed in. Yeah. What are some of the determining factors uh, that you have when it, when it comes to that, what are some of the things that you're looking at to, you know, again, you you, st- you talked about year to year, the kids that we have, what are some, kind of some of those separating factors? I would definitely say ball handlers, shooters, speed and size. Uh-huh. Um, if we got, I mean, my first year here, I had three or four kids. I, I, trusted dribbling the ball uh-huh. um so we ran a lot of motion because any one of those kids could get past his defender any one of those kids came down with a rebound we were gonna go uh-huh. and you know we weren't gonna let teams set up their half court defense because we were just gonna flow right into a motion uh-huh. um last couple of years it's it's more like one one and a half kids that I truly trust dribbling the ball which makes it a little tougher uh-huh. um obviously shooters make any offense look good so i i, I don't feel like i gotta say too much about that but yeah. then Speed and size. I mean, I, I've had some big kids that didn't play a lot because I felt like they couldn't move that well. And if we want to play fast, we kind of emphasize the speed part of it. But this year, I feel like I'm going to have some big kids that may not necessarily move that fast. But, hey, we're going to rely on them. So we might run more of that structured. Hey, we're going to pound mm-hmm. the post. And 
mm-hmm. and then, and work it inside. So mm-hmm. you definitely, we're not a college program. We don't get a recruit. You definitely have to adjust offensively to what you have coming in the indoors in the gym. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what are some, some things that you do in practice to help break down those motion principles and, and, and teach and, and teach that, you know, teaching kids how to play? You know, we do a lot of shell drill, um, which kind of takes our posts out of the equation and gets our posts on the perimeter, which, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of help with junior high and, and I, I observe the, the grade school um, kids. But I remember when I was a kid, the post caught the ball he outletted it and you wouldn't dare dribble the ball mm-hmm. and the, and the post was going to run to the rim and, and play with his back to the ball. Well, that's kind of not where the game's going anymore. If yep. your post can dribble and if they can shoot threes, it is so much more difficult to play you because you can space the floor and you can make that motion, you know, work out that much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, so a lot of shell drill, what, what do you do within the shell drill? Do you, do you, do you just let them go? Uh, do you apply specific rules to it? You know, drill, you know, no dribbles here, uh, limit dribbles. Uh, we're going to run all ball screens. You know, what are some different things that you do to, to implement gotcha. those concepts? Yeah, uh, we'll do shell drill 10 minutes, 15 minutes a day for sure. And, you know, we'll work on the defensive side, but we'll also emphasize the offensive side. We'll always start with some different action. You know, we might start with a dribble handoff. We might start with a pick and roll. We might start with a middle drive and just, hey, how do we adjust? Uh, We gave up middle. You know, what's the scramble like after that? One of the things we emphasize the most because we're a baseline force team is, hey, we gave up baseline. What do the rotations look like on the baseline? Low man helps over, backside zones up. Mm-hmm. And just putting defenders in the disadvantage, and how do you respond to that? On offense, you're always looking to get that advantage. Well, do you take advantage of that, or do you squander it away by catching and holding? So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a drill that I like because you kind of emphasize both sides of it. Um, a lot of times, I get stuck in the side that's not doing as well. So, <laughs> the coach, you know, my assistant coach will take the other side and. You know, it's most people say shell drill is defensive, but we use it for offense too. Yeah, well, I think you know you you brought this up, and and again, kind of the the catch twenty two. Great, it's a great problem to have. You you guys have made a lot of deep runs in football, but the way it's structured here in Nebraska, like you said, you get three or four practices, and you got to go out and sometimes play a game for real uh, in in a very short amount of time, and. I really, one of the things that I really reevaluated in my own philosophy was we have this amount of time, you know, again, and, and this is the second time I've referenced Bobby Knight, and, and I'm not a Bobby Knight fan. I, I, rec- I respect him. I recognize how he was a great coach, but how he did things and things like that, I, I detest. I'm going to be honest with you. But Yeah, you, know, you should never throw a chair. Yeah, court, yeah. Or, 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 or any other, you know, anyway. Yeah, there's uh, a list. Yeah, there's there's the list. But uh, uh, one of the things that Knight said, if I've got 120 minutes in practice, I want to spend 120 minutes on offense and 120 minutes on defense. And that really stuck with me. And so I definitely look at, at drills much differently um, – we, we have a list of about 11 core basketball skills. And one of my rules as a coach is unless you unless the drill covers at least three of those 11 core skills, we don't do that drill because we have to multitask because we don't have enough time to 
really break it down like a college coach who has 80 or 90 practices throughout a year and, and uh, you know, professionals, and et cetera. So that, that's our thing. The, the only time we violate that rule is when it comes to shooting. You know, shooting is a specific thing that we need to do. And, and so I, I agree with you that you have to multitask within those drills. And and I that's the way I look at it personally. I don't know what you think about that philosophy, Coach. No, I couldn't agree more. We never just run a rebound drill. It's going to be transition rebounding. It's going to be free throw rebounding. You know, the more things you can work on with one drill, I got two hour, hour and a half to two hours to fill. You got to make those drills as multitasking as possible. Mm-hmm. A pen and a napkin university videos are just another way that a pen and a napkin can help you become a better coach. Our university video library is constantly expanding with topics ranging from interviewing for a job to full court defense to 25 universal truths about coaching. Our university videos will help you round out your skill set as a coach and help you hone your craft. Videos are $10 a piece with bundling options available. To order, you can DM me on Twitter, send me an email at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com, or order from our website, a pen and a napkin.com. Be sure to check out the a pen and a napkin video library. Let's talk a little defense. Let's talk a little defense, coach. Um, you know, you, you know, you, you do some things a little bit differently. We, we share a, a common theme in that you guys push baseline sideline. We push baseline sideline. Um, but you talked about ice and some ball screens and different things like that. I, again, I'm, I'm <clears throat> feel free to ramble, Kevin. Uh, no problem. You know, uh, talk to us about your, your defensive philosophy, what you do, why you do it that way. Again, maybe some drills that you use to, to break it down, to emphasize it with your kids. Uh, just, just tell us about how you do things with the Jag. By the way, I've always wondered this, and I don't know if I've ever asked Palachek this question, okay? How many Jaguars have you ever spotted in Howells or Dodge? <laughs> You know, I don't think I've ever seen one. Okay, um, all right. So I, I just, I just wanted to verify that. So uh, <laughs> not I'm just, known to the region, I don't think so. <laughs> well, is it Wisner Pilger uh, Gators as well? Yeah, yep, the it, Gators. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you have a, a bit of a uh, an eclectic uh, mascot fit for Nebraska up up in your up in your neck of the woods there. So. Uh, no, so I, no, I'm just, I'm just joking there. But no, tell no us. Uh, yeah, we got, we got sidetracked there. I got us sidetracked. That's my fault. Uh, but uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about your your half court defensive philosophy. How you implemented, you know, on down the line. Um, you know, we always have a lot of athletes that can move, and usually they're long. I'll have seven, eight, nine kids in the six foot to six three range that can move, and just because we had the athletes, we always thought, you know, pressure man to man. You know, we're going to go hard on defense, and if that means I can – I mean, kids usually buy into it because there's going to be more subs because you're going to get more tired. But um, yeah, we want to make the offense as uncomfortable as possible. You know, some coaches have beautiful set plays, and, you know, they get in the half court, and they're going to run and nickel and dime you for points. And we just want to take away and make the offense as uncomfortable as possible, which when the point guards are bringing the ball down, I want my guy to pick him up the half court now. I give them the freedom to go full court if they want. So, you know, a Lance Brester or a um, RJ Byer, they might pick their guy up, you know, 85 feet from the hoop. They just can't get burned. Mm -hmm. And we want them to establish a side of the court and we want to keep them 
on that side of the court, which it's not the easiest thing to do. It takes a lot of reps. We have to work our pick and roll defense every day to get kids to buy in because it's something that, you know, if you're going to ice ball screens, all five guys have to be on the same page. So, you know, once they establish a side, you know, if that ball screen is coming, the post has to yell ice, which is the signal for the on-ball defender to move up on the high side. Which seems nuts because now you're gonna. It looks like it's such an easy baseline drive, mm-hmm. um, but you know a lot of teams, their offense, their coach wants them to use the pick and roll, and if we can take that away, yep. it's going to make them uncomfortable. So when we slide up on the high side, the post sags, and we f- we funnel them to the baseline, and mm-hmm. we need that post to have his hands up so that pass that comes out of there has to be a high lob. Mm-hmm. We need the, the lowest defender on the backside to uh, to help over, and we need to help the helper. Mm-hmm. And basically, we zone up on the backside. And if if one of those guys doesn't do their job, it breaks down and looks terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's something we have to rep over and over and over again. So it's definitely a daily practice thing. Yeah, you uh, you bring up a good point. Part of the you know part of the reason that that probably works well, and and we have used that. I have used that in the past. Uh, we have not gotten to that level of things with my with my current team. Um, I would love to, uh, but we just haven't gotten there yet. Uh, yeah. Uh, but you talked about kind of how sometimes high school kids can get really, really mechanical with, well, I have to come off the ball screen because that's what the offense tells us we're supposed to do. And and icing those ball screens is a great way to take teams out of their rhythm and out of their pattern. And then if you do that, then you got them thinking. And if you got them thinking, then you're in a really, really good place. Right, exactly. It just nothing comes easy. We are a on the line, up the line, one pass away. So even that first pass into their offense, you know, a lot of teams throw it to the wing to start the offense. We're not going to give them that pass. We're going to make it as difficult as possible to get any sort of offensive flow. We're going to get beat on some back cuts and and some back doors, but, you know, that's just kind of the way we're going to live and die by our philosophy. Mm -hmm. Um, What are some other things that you do defensively in your practices to – you know, crank up that that intensity, that on ball pressure, uh, to make it difficult for folks to to get into their sets. Well, two of the drills that I love for the on ball pressure. One is called defensive pride. We usually do this towards the end of practice, and we'll put one team on defense. You know, early in the year, it might be five minutes, it might be two minutes, and they are just on defense. And I might have two or three other teams coming at them one at a time. Mm-hmm. And just like golf, they want to keep a low score. So if they get a stop, it's zero points. If they give up a layup, it's two points. If they foul, it's three points. If they give up a three that goes in, it's three points. If they give up an offensive rebound, it's two points. You know, so um, it's you don't get to play offense, and that's generally what every kid wants to do, but they buy into it because at the end of it, hey, we only gave up eight points in five minutes to three fresh teams coming at us one at a time. Um, they, I mean, if I say it, they love it. They, they're, they're excited about it and it gets pretty intense. It gets pretty crazy. So mm-hmm. it's one of those things where, you know, who's excited to play defense the whole time? Nobody, but we've got them to buy into that mentality that we're getting stops and nobody's scoring. Yeah. Is that a, is that a running clock or do you run it like a game clock? A uh, running clock. I think if it was stopping, <laughs> they might mm-hmm. die. So yeah, it definitely is. It gets them in shape and shows them the right intensity that they got to bring to the defensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, you know how I was telling you before that, 
you know, I take stuff from people on the pod. I'm, yeah. I'm copying that. So, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, so thanks for that. Thanks for that. Yeah, no okay. problem. I yeah, appreciate that. We're, we are we are going to do that. I my my brain is already for what I have left of a brain. It, it's 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 running right now. Thinking about this, I I like this idea. So, um, let's uh, any, anything else on defense that you want to talk about, Coach Janata? Um, I guess just part of it is always knowing how teams are going to counter that ice. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the most common things? Well, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, you know, the biggest problem for us in that is if they post can shoot threes and they do a pick and pop, mm-hmm. which essentially then we try to keep our, our post on their post and the help comes from the other low defenders. So, you know, we have to definitely work on different rotations depending on how they're going to attack it. Um, BR, Bancroft Rosie actually got us in our sub-district game because they started um, pick and rolling to the baseline side, okay. which our counter to that is, okay, now the post has to jump it. You know, he has to get out there. Um, the guard that was guarding the ball has to fight over the screen, and, and we basically double over the top, and we got to rotate on the backside. And our post was still sagging, and they would come off and hit a three, or they'd come off and hit a jumper. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, like I said, everyone's going to be on the same page. And then and then the short roll or the snake through, um, you know, it's, it's something we work on every day. And then if we truly we're going to stick to it most of the time, but sometimes the scouting report says, Hey, we're going to let this guy drive mill or we're going to defend a different way. Mm-hmm. We do practice hard hedging. We do practice switching. We do practice, you know, what it, hey, there's like 19 different ways to defend a ball <laughs> screen. So we are going to work on those, but we're going to stay true to ourselves and know that our go-to is icing ball screens. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, Let's let's talk about your practices. Uh, how you put them together. You know, we we both mentioned uh, a couple of times about how efficiently we want to practice. Uh, how do you put together your practice plan? What are your influences when it comes to that? Uh, how how is it structured? You know, because you know, I know probably in the next couple of weeks I'm going to start scratching out our first. You know, I try to go into every season with every practice planned until our first game. Uh, and But then I can always, obviously, we're going to tweak it as as we move through it. We, we didn't get to this today, so we got to do it tomorrow, which pushes this back. But I always feel comfortable with that because then instead of scrambling – it's it's tweaking those first two and a half weeks and and I for, for again this is the way my my messed up brain works I, I feel like if if things are set up in that way then that gives us the big picture of of everything that we're going to do and hopefully that will align us up so that we can be as far along as we can be for that first for that first game so that's that's my brain God God help that, anybody that that's ever inside of, yeah what's that that makes perfect sense. I mean, you got to be organized. Um, you know, one of the influence I put on my sheet was John Connett. He was the boys head coach at Crofton and I stole a lot of things from him, but the biggest thing that he always brought to the table was his practices were organized down to the minute. I mean, we, we knew what we were going to be doing when we were going to be doing it. And you just wasted so much less time because the kids practice plan was posted before practice. The kids knew what was going on and from drill to drill, it just was smooth. And mm-hmm. so I've tried to do that same thing here at Howell's Dodge. It gets a little complicated because sometimes we got to drive over to Dodge and that, that puts you back 15, 20 minutes from your start of practice. But mm-hmm. ultimately, you, you got to 
a limited amount of time and you got to fill it with as much stuff as you can. Mm-hmm. What I like to do, um, I have a spreadsheet from year to year. I'll, I'll copy and paste it just, and I'll look at what we did last year about this time, mm-hmm. you know, just to get some of the ideas and I'll, I'll keep things that I liked and I'll, I'll throw things out, but we always have a running clock. Um, it helps the kids know, Hey, how much time are we spending on a drill? They're ready to move to the next thing when the buzzer goes off. Um, you know, the water breaks, you, you just, there's a lot to be said for being organized when you come into practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then basically having, you know, I'm not saying anything that's groundbreaking, but having kind of a routine. So we always start with fundies, you know, ball handling, um, post moves, guard moves. And then we get into what we're actually going to be doing that day. Some days are offensive emphasis and some days are defensive emphasis. But as you know, you're going to work on both pretty much in most of the drills. Mm-hmm. And then something I like to do is if we're doing a half court drill, um, one session, the next thing is going to be full court. So mm-hmm. we like to get up and down. Um, we don't ever just stand on the line and run as a drill. Like we're going to get our conditioning doing some sort of transition thing, something that's going to work multiple skills. So uh, there's a lot to be said for just having those practices organized. You know, I remember one of my first years at Plainview, um, <laughs> I had something scheduled for 10 minutes and I spent 45 minutes on it. You have to know when it's time to cut your losses and move on. You can't waste yeah. time. Yeah. just trying to get something perfect yeah yeah do do you uh do you post your practice schedule up for your kids to see it beforehand yes i usually put it down in the locker room next to the stats next to some motivational quote and kids usually check it out because they know what drills they don't like and <laughs> sometimes i uh mask those a little bit but yeah. definitely they can mentally prepare what's going to be on the on the on for that day yeah i i've always been taught i've never uh, shown our kids our 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 uh, practice drill, um, and and here's why. Um, I I know coaches that do or that have, and to me, this is the first thing I hear. And maybe this is just my coach antenna going up. Um, when are we done? Okay, we're gonna be done at five fifteen today. Oh, oh, that's that's you know whatever. And and for me, I'm always like, I you know. I want to keep them on edge. And again, that's just yeah. <laughs> that's just the way my my brain works, you know. Uh, we got to anticipate anything and everything that could happen in a game, and so you know, I I want them to, you know, and, and we might say, you know, like I've done this before. Girls, we're we're down for seventy five minutes today. Um, we've got a seventy five minute practice. If you bust it, I think we can get out of here in sixty five. But that's up to you. But we're going to yeah. get everything done on this list. And that has worked well for us. Um, again, not to say that it's perfect or anything like that. Nobody's nobody's perfect. But that's something we've done when we've talked about practice scheduling that will throw a, a little bit of a bone out there for them. So I see it both ways. I see I see the, 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 the pros and the cons of posting it. I've always just been curious about that. Yeah, and I see it from your perspective, too, that, you know, kind of keeps them on edge. I remember high school football, we always ran conditioning after kickoff drill. Well, if you're running down on kickoff and you know you have conditioning next, are you going as hard as you can or are you saving yourself? So there is a little bit to be said for that, too. Yeah, yeah. So uh, no matter what you do, no matter what you do, you're going to have something. So, Um, Coach, let's let's bring it home on this. Let's talk about a little bit of skill development. Uh, maybe three or four of your favorite drills that you guys do at Howells Dodge there to help develop your players, uh, to help upgrade their skills, and 
yeah, just just you know put them in a situation to be successful so you can run your your motion stuff that you want to run and, and and you let the kids play and and obviously motion is in large part dictated by your player's skill level and the, the higher skilled they are the less you have to to structure things so what are you trying to do there um you know a lot of it starts in the summer and that's an easy answer for everybody but you know we try to get after in the summer um this summer we definitely played probably the most games we played in a while i think the varsity played 22 and the jv played 16 but to go along with that, it's it's the open gyms and it's the uh, the weight room, um, you know. And I'm fortunate on the weight room side of things. I don't have to do much. You know, Coach Spears and, and the football coaching staff, they get everybody in there and they get them to work hard. And I just know every year from year to year we're going to be bigger, stronger, faster. Mm-hmm. Um, I do help with a speed camp that most of our kids participate in the summer. So, you know, <laughs> footwork, all the stuff that I can apply to basketball, I'll, I'll bring some drills that I know are going to help us as a basketball team. Um, the open gyms, you know, it's, it's so crucial to work on the individual skills on how to dribble with both hands and posts. We're going to do, you know, I want them to have go-to post moves, but we're going to try some different things. Mm -hmm. Um, the guard drills, we have this thing called D league, uh, layups where, you know, it's basically follow the leader. If he does a normal layup, everybody else does a normal layup. If he does a reversal, Euro step, spin move, I mean, we're going to, you know, we'll spend some time on that during the season. And then we try to apply that into, Hey, now we're playing one-on-one. Now we're playing two-on-two. Now we're playing three-on-three where, you know, they're going to get a, a better chance to apply those skills that we've been working on individually um, in the fundamental groups. Mm-hmm. Okay. Coach, anything else you want to add? Um, no, I, I just want to say I, I enjoyed the experience. I have a bad tendency to talk too fast sometimes, so I hope you, you got something out of this. <laughs> no, it, it's been a great conversation, Kevin, and, and, and I appreciate your time on an early Sunday morning here. Uh, if, if folks want to know more about your, your program or, or Howell's Dodge in general, uh, what are some ways they can, they can look it up? You know, I feel bad. I'm not on Twitter. I don't have a Facebook basketball account. Um, after listening to about – 10 or 12 of these podcasts to kind of prepare for this. I feel like maybe I got to come up with a, with a Twitter handle, but um, you know, my, my emails on the uh, school website, if anyone ever wants to ask me questions or, or get in touch with me, that's probably the best way to go about it. But I know there's a lot to be said for uh, promoting your program. And maybe that's something that I got to take from these podcasts that I got to do a better job of promoting the program. Well, we, we, we all have something to, to learn and there's only so many hours in a day and, You've you've got a birthday party to get to get to setting up here for is it would you say cocoa lemon is that what <laughs> cocoa melon cocoa melon sorry yep yeah uh, differences in uh, where we're at in our life journey <laughs> yeah, absolutely differences so uh, but ha- have a great time with that uh, thanks so much for coming on this morning I, I hope you enjoyed the experience yep it was a lot of fun thanks for having me you bet so if you can hold the line here a second. Uh, again, Kevin Janata, head boys basketball coach at Howells Dodge High School here in Nebraska. Uh, really, really solid program. They just they just got it they got it cooking up there and and, and uh, uh, at their program there. Uh, they, they just have to be aware of jaguars and, and alligators up there in, in Nebraska. <laughs> so, um, want to thank him for coming on. Of course, we want to thank Cosac Chiropractic for being our founding sponsor. Again, if you're looking for chiropractic services, don't hesitate to look up Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi, 402-964-0300. Follow us on Twitter at a pin and a napkin, excuse me. 
Download, rate, review this podcast. Again, give us five stars. Give us a nice review. It, it helps everything out. Uh, questions, comments, suggestions, ideas, email me at penandanapkin at gmail.com. And then, of course, check out a, a penandanapkin.com. So uh, a lot of great stuff uh, that, that we have going on and, uh, coaches retreat and just, just so many good things. So I, I hope coaches are enjoying things. It's, it's the buildup here. It's, it's getting to the middle of September. We're about two months out from getting going for real here. So really excited for it. Coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a